Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day in an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Nicholas Horowitz, co-founder of the Clerkenwell Brothers, a creative agency that specializes in building brands through brand design and content. Nicholas, hello. Hi, Matthew. Well, thank, thank you very much for coming on the program today. Uh, now, normally we charge straight into the subject of leadership, but considering uh, the odd circumstances we find ourselves under, how have uh, you been affected by the COVID-19 uh, crisis as a business? Uh, well, I think the most obvious uh, effect that the disease has on us is, is really on the welfare of our clients, really. Uh, as you mentioned in your, in your intro there, we work with a number of challenger brands, often um, that means startups, and they're kind of inherently fragile, um, and so they're the most vulnerable to such a crisis. Uh, so, you know, they're always walking that, that tightrope, um, haven't yet got their foundations in place, uh, or in place enough to kind of run out the tremors. So small disruptions can obviously be very challenging to them, let alone the massive disruption that COVID-19 has caused, kind of disrupting supply chains, investments, uh, crashing their market. So a big challenge for us has definitely been kind of um, understanding the new needs of our clients and their pain points as they're taking drastic measures to simply survive and uh, how best we can support them uh, and kind of where we need to change strategy or pivot um, to best support them. So I guess that's been uh, the most immediate worry for us is kind of the welfare of our, of our clients. Do you believe that this is going to have a long-term effect on your business as a whole? Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think so. I think um, ultimately we're, we're, you know, we work in marketing and marketing is, is still... Uh, a great way for businesses uh, to grow and to reach new audiences, and that's going to be more important than ever once we once we get out to that and kind of companies stabilise themselves and, and start to you know need to grow their markets again. Um, so I don't think in, in the long term it's it's going to be detrimental. Uh, it might change, obviously, as I think a lot of businesses are discovering, change the way we do things, um, but I wouldn't see that as, as an issue. Now, uh, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Uh, to me, I think it's uh, leader is someone who uh, people trust ultimately and are willing to follow. Um, that doesn't mean follow unquestionably. Uh, I don't know how kind of challenging, uh, but yeah, someone who they they listen to and ultimately will will follow along. Now, how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, I'd say it's backseated almost. Uh, I don't like to kind of be too kind of uh, have a hierarchy almost in play. Uh, very much like to be on kind of the level of, of the people I'm supposedly meant to be leading uh, and to level with them uh, almost and very much to always be 
open and have a dialogue with those that you you want to uh, have you know you want to lead uh, I think I think that's really critical to being uh, a good leader and so it's very much the kind of the style that uh, I like to employ now of course uh, leadership takes many different forms and many different paths but what they all have in common is that we need to deal with people and as we all know people aren't infallible uh, they have their bad days and sometimes uh, people lead to disagreements with each other. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? Uh, that's a good question. I think the most important thing, and I maybe just touched on it uh, a second ago, is listening and hearing people out. I think um, a slight culture has, has come to exist where people aren't apt for listening before they speak or before they make judgments. Uh, and all too often that emotion uh, creep into uh, their thoughts and, and judgments. Uh, whereas we need to listen and we need to hear people out because only when you do that, that you can ever be empathetic and understand someone's situation uh, as well as change your opinion or come to an opinion of, of the situation. Um, if you don't hear other people's points of views or ideas, you'll never be able to kind of correct your own opinions or um, resolve a conflict. So the, the important thing that happens in the workplace, obviously, to get everyone involved together. Uh, there's no point uh, having closed doors and, and having discussions in secret. That only can um, worsen or aggravate the situation. Uh, it's getting everyone in and then having a, a discussion and hearing different people's points of view and making sure, as I say, that it doesn't become emotional and it, it's try and you always bring it back down to kind of um so not rational not rational but you keep it rational almost uh, the mm -hmm. entire time and hear everyone out because uh, ultimately people want to be listened to and you need to listen to people if you're to make a correct uh, decision or judgment on the res and the resolution to the conflict uh so yeah i think that that to me is um one of the most important ways of resolving a conflict now, uh, leadership doesn't develop in a vacuum, and it, and it does come from somewhere. So let's go back to the beginning of your uh, working life when you first started out your career. Did you have any role models who shaped you as you are today? Uh, when, I, when I first started out, I was freelance myself. So I didn't necessarily have anyone I was working under, which is quite a hard thing to deal with uh, as a freelancer. So I think one of the most obvious kind of role models for leadership uh, were both my parents. Um, I think what I took from them really was this idea of kind of leading by example and uh, not expecting, you know, you can't expect others to do something if you, if you don't do it yourself. And you almost have to practice what you preach. Uh, and that's, that's one of the best forms of leadership. So from them, you know, I very much saw their inherent drive to work hard you know one parent came from uh you know a fantastic world of opportunity the other didn't but that was almost irrelevant because they both shared um this this kind of ethos to to, to strive for greater things and, and a persistence to do so and you know that mantra from first you know succeed try try and try again that was very much something they embodied and it, it came with this idea that if you want something, you can achieve it if you put the work in. And so, you know, that, that, that's, you know, probably rolled off like another cliche there, but it all comes back to this 
this idea of, of, of them setting this amazing example and so me then wanting to follow that and that was very much something then that I took on board and, and have done uh, where I'm still today and continue to do so. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Glockenwell brothers? Well, I think, you know, obviously, um, this is a challenging time. I think something that's really important, and definitely for for our staff who are on board with us and who we got on board, you know, with this idea of us, the brothers being on a journey and a fast track towards what they wanted, I still want that then that, that ideal, that vision to be the case. So I think what's really important right now is whilst you know a lot of people are in survival mode and um, which is obviously of critical importance, you know, you want the business to be there in a couple of months. The important thing is to still be thinking ahead and not to have too bleak an outlook and that this will pass and that we will be better for it. And, you know, for us right now, that look to the future therefore is kind of really pushing for new business. Uh and believing that you know better things are gonna are gonna come, uh, and we're already starting to see that with clients coming on board. Because almost this is, you know, in a strange way, this has never been a better time to launch a business in terms of starting to think about the ideas behind it, how I look, how I talk, uh, the story of it. Uh, this is a great time because you're you're not rushed almost. You you have time to think. Um, so, yeah, for us, it's very much, you know, about um, new business drive, uh, different opportunities out there because uh, whilst this is a challenging time for businesses, it's also, as I said, a great time uh, to launch. So we'll be um, really focusing on that. And I think revising our model ever so slightly, we very much operate what I call a, a tribe model internally where we have uh, almost mini startup teams attached to each client. Uh, which allows us to be quite fast and flexible and work in the way that our the businesses we, we service do. Uh, and I think that's going to become more critical because as it shows, um, when challenges appear like this, you need to be able to pivot and move very quickly. Uh, and so I think we'll work to kind of reinforce that within our own business in case such a thing arises arises again. Well, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. And I do hope that uh, we can have you back on uh, at a point when life is slightly more normal. Uh, Nicholas, thank you. Thank you much. That was Nicholas Horowitz, co-founder of the Kirkenwell Brothers. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, My only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be (laughs) playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really 
messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
Uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially when I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation. Did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that Al showed, he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." <laughs> so that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, to just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you laugh if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. 
he's the best example of management I think we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today yes I think so I think yes no, mm. no question at all I think they uh, Ron Greenwood yeah well, the, the answer straightforward answer is yes um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is showed, the word is the word is team. Absolutely, and I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, Um, thinking about that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, 
but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.